We were reading the first 18 verses of James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. <clears throat> that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It is good to uh, see you all again, to be with you, to start a new series in the book of James. We're starting off a new year. We've been thinking about a few things through January, about what our goals and what our aims might be through the year and what God promises for those things. And now to get our teeth into something like James, where there's a whole lot of controversial things that he raises, controversial for Christians, on how to live for Jesus, how to live authentically for him with an authentic faith. Uh, so we're going to dump, jump right into it this morning with a couple of uh, possibly controversial things that James raises uh, right up this morning. But how about we pray first uh, that God might prepare our hearts to hear what he has to say to us. Dear Father, we do thank you for the good news that you sent through Jesus Christ. We thank you for people like James, the brother of Jesus, who saw Jesus, saw him die and rose again. We thank you for his testimony and encouragement on how to live for him as King and Lord. And Lord, we just pray now with whatever's going on in our lives that you reach us, you meet us where we're at. That sometimes, you know, we're here but we don't really want to be here. We've got other things on our minds. 
But Lord, I pray that you would meet us to answer us, answer our questions, to help give us true and authentic faith and to have certainty in Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, I used to be uh, involved in youth work. Uh, believe it or not, I used to be younger and I uh, was involved with taking kids around. Uh, one of the activities we did was took a group of kids down to Sydney to Katoomba for one of their big conventions. And this particular group was a leadership conference, so they were sort of older teens. And one of the uh, girls there was finishing year 12, looking forward to going to university. And it was just after that Christmas time into the new year where people are finding out where they're going for university. And she was all excited to find out uh, this is from uh, northern New South Wales. And she'd made plans to go to Canberra. She says, I've applied for Canberra. It's pretty much the only university I've applied for. Not that it's the best university, but I know there's a really good church there and it's a church I want to be a part of. So I've applied to go to Canberra and I'm just waiting to get that confirmed and you know, I can't wait to be a part of this exciting church down there. Uh, as it worked out, during the conference, the the news come back, were they accepted into the different universities? And she was not accepted. And it just so happened, she got this news first thing in the morning and uh, this convention, there's like six or 800 people, massive convention. And she stood, uh, sat on the front steps of this convention where everybody was filing in, just in tears, being really angry. So what is God doing? What is he thinking? You know, was my motives wrong? You know, I tried to pick it for the church, not the uni or not anything else. Uh, I'm trying to live faithfully. But why is God shutting, shutting this door on me? Why? As hundreds of people filed in, we're having this theological debate about why God does what he does. See, it's interesting, isn't it, if you've been in that situation where things have happened, where you've had certain expectations of God, you know, I wish this would happen, I've made particular plans for that to happen, even my heart is pure, I've prayed about it, I've, I've put everything in place, all God has to do now is make it happen, but it doesn't. And our expectations of God are just not met with our disappointments, frustration at God maybe, anger at God, going, why, why? Doesn't my expectations match the reality of what's going on? See, James uh, is, is, writes this letter, and James is a guy, he's the brother of Jesus, and he's writing to answer questions like this. So he's been on an interesting journey himself, being the brother of Jesus. You know, I'm sure it'd be an interesting experience if your brother or sister announced that they were divine, the son of God or something like that. Uh, I'm sure you'd hesitate to, to follow them up on that. And so we're told he has, has these doubts. But when he sees the resurrected Jesus, that Jesus did really rise from the, the grave, he has this complete turnaround. So he starts telling people about Jesus, becomes a leader in the very first church in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit comes and the disciples start preaching and they say with that thousands of people converted uh, and they come and join this church. It's James who becomes the leader of that church. But he's writing to people who it's called, this, uh, he's a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered He's writing to people who are no longer in his church. So he's kind of like the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the original church. 
And if you know the book of Acts and how that first church started, when there's uh, many people becoming believers, they got together. You know, every night they'd come together, they'd share meals, they'd share Lord's Supper, they'd hear from the teaching of the apostles, they'd pray together. They had this amazing unity of uh, selling their stuff and sharing their possessions with each other so nobody had any need. They had this amazing church experience where everybody would come together and be one in Jerusalem. But also in Jerusalem, there's a lot of Jewish religious people there that didn't like Jesus. They killed him. So what are they going to do with these new followers of Jesus? There was this guy, Stephen, who stood up and preached a sermon. It was the religious people who come and stoned him to death. It was the religious people who started hunting down these Christians, going from door to door, kind of like an ISIS type thing, ethnic cleansing or religious cleansing where they would uh, hunt down and flog Christians and put them into jail. So what would you do if you were there and part of that, that new church? On the one hand, amazing experience. On the other hand, people are after you. So they flee Jerusalem and they go out into the surrounding countries. And they were nicknamed, nicknamed, kind of described as this 12 tribes scattered. 12 tribes being a very... Um, Israelite kind of term, they're God's people, the 12 tribes. But this is the new 12 tribes under Jesus. But now they're scattered. They've gone out. They had the amazing experience, but now they're in the world. And now they've got lots of questions going on and expectations of God. Because now I'm in the world, I've been chased out because my life was in danger, my family's life's in danger. But now I've got nothing, I left everything behind. Now I can't get work, now I haven't got housing And now everybody's against me. But I gave up everything for God, to follow him, to trust him. I gave everything up. And now what's he giving back to me? My expectations are certainly not being met. So James is writing to these people going, the church has gone into the world, I can see that, but but don't get angry. Just understand how the world is starting to influence your thinking, influence your faith. He says, don't go down that path, have authentic faith. Understand who God is and how he works and have that faith that trusts God, that can, have trust, can trust God confidently knowing that he is in control. And what he touches on here right in this very first chapter is two things, two questions. One of the expectations of God, God should make me uh, happy and healthy. Of course, you know, we're children of God. Um, he loves his children. We should be happy and healthy. The second thing he touches on is being happy and wealthy. You know, surely God should bless me and give me everything I want and I need. Uh, surely that's not unrealistic. But he says, there's a wrong idea going about faith that that's your entitlement and that that's just what God's going to do. But be aware, it's very dangerous to have that kind of faith. It's a false faith. It's a wrong faith. So he's going to steer them uh, into the right direction. And even for us, he's going to steer us in a direction and go, this is what authentic faith looks like. You mightn't like the answers, but it's going to be a journey that's going to take you to a place that's incredible and amazing and give you a faith that's solid and steadfast, one that won't crumble. So he hits uh, straight into the first question. There's not much beating around uh, his letters. He sends them out and... If you read through the book of James, and I hope you do in anticipation of what we're going to do the next nine weeks, uh, you'll see there's, there's lots of clear little breakups. And it's like 
if you wanted to hear someone speak, if you wanted a message of encouragement, if you're one of the, the 12 tribes scattered, and you go, where are we going to find the answers? Pastor James, he teaches about this all the time. You'd go to a podcast, you'd look him up, you'd Google him, you'd find the teaching. Well, this is like James. Uh, some people say the book of James is like his sermon notes. This is what I've got to say on this subject. Here's my sermon notes. Put them in a letter and mail them out to all the people who are struggling with these questions. And the first one he tackles with is the problem of suffering. He says right from verse 2, doesn't beat about the bush. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, we read that and go, I think he's got this wrong. I think he should have worded this a bit differently. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you don't face trials of many kinds. Who wants to consider it joy and face trials? We consider ourselves blessed by God if we don't face trials. You know, I don't want to have to go down that path with um, medical treatment. I don't want to have uh, those issues in my life. I am you know, thankful to God that he doesn't give me those things. That's the way we think. But James is going, no, no, when you face all these trials, consider it joy. It goes against everything we think about in the world and even think about God. You know, as a father, and we think of God as Father God, as a father, I want to give my kids everything in life they need. I want to uh, bless them with giving them a better start, a good education, uh, so we you know, put them into a school the, the, the best we could afford. We want to give them uh, more opportunities that we might have had in life, whether it's sport or music or, or whatever, so give them a better job that I ever had. We want the best for our kids, so we want to provide for them, bless them in that way. Surely God the Father is like that to us. That God should be blessing me. That God should be giving me all my needs. That God should be making my life happy. That removes suffering. Give me the best start in life as possible. That's what God should be doing. That's the way we think. Naturally, that's our default system. And that's the way the world asks questions of God. Surely he's like that. But then what happens when we have a bad day? And the bad day turns into a bad week or a bad month. And it's just going on and on. I know there's many people in this room right now that have had visits to the doctor and the doctor has said, sorry, you've lost your baby. Or sorry, we've found cancer and it's the most aggressive form. What about when the doctor says, uh, why don't you try this medication? It might help with the pain. Sometimes it's for physical pain but sometimes it's just pain that will get you through life. See, what happens in those times? What is God doing? Shouldn't God love his children? Shouldn't he fix me up and give me what I need? See, it's easy to fall in that hole and you fall in so deep that the light at the top seems so far away that you can't crawl out of it. Why would God let this happen? And why would God let this happen to me? I understand if God lets it happen to other people, other people live their lives, they might ignore God, they might make bad decisions. Sure, I look at them and go, well, you know, they kind of deserve it. But me, I'm a good person. I love God. I follow God. But even this stuff happens to me. We get shocked at that. James fills out this picture a little bit more. He goes on to say, 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. It's interesting some of the wording he's got here, this word testing. So what does it mean that he's testing? Is, it, is this like a pass-fail thing? If we pass, it's good. If we don't, it's bad. Uh, he's actually using the same word uh, as like purifying here. And he uses the same word that even uh, like the silversmiths would use the way they treat their metals. So they get uh, pieces of silver and they're usually bits of contaminated silver. And what they do is they heat it up into 500 degrees to melt down the silver and all the the impurities come to the top. So they scrape the impurities off the top. uh, But to make it pure even still, they would keep doing it. Heat it up again, boil it so it's soft, 500 degrees, scrape off the top, and they do it again and again. The more times they do it, the more purer the silver is. It's this testing, it's this purification, it's removing the contamination. For James, he could have said this in lots of different ways, but he uses this word testing, refining. So he says you're being refined, and this way of being refined will produce perseverance for you perseverance and he says be glad in that I'm sorry just in case you wanted an image of refinery but he says uh, through this something good comes out well at the end of the day the, the the silversmith's got this great cake of silver where for us God is bringing us on this journey he says journey that develops uh perseverance perseverance leads to maturity and completeness he's got the eye on the end goal this is what I want for your life that you would have a solid firm stable faith that won't be shaken that would endure anything one that's solid is what he's saying that's what the faith that God is building now it's easy to talk about perseverance when life is good you know if I want to develop perseverance patience you know go through life uh, doing that you know it's not hard to talk about enduring things or uh, yeah if I go to a movie I can sit through that for a couple of hours to develop my perseverance because it's easy if somebody offers me a shoulder rub like half a day I'll develop my perseverance doing that you know watching a game of cricket that lasts five days I'll develop my perseverance doing that that's easy I'm happy to say I'll sign up for that one. Half an hour in a dentist's chair to develop perseverance, and I'm like tapped out. That's, that's not going to work for me. Uh, or other things. Uh, crying babies all night. Many mums here know about that story. A night of a crying baby to develop perseverance. Like, that is hard work. Nobody would choose to do that. So perseverance under trials is a hard thing that he's talking about. I've heard this passage and this idea talked about like making a cake that, uh, you know, somebody like me, I love cake. If you didn't guess it, I'm happy to sit down any time with a piece or even a whole cake, really. I can just keep working at it all day. Uh, More than happy to do that. But the finished product is really nice. It's beautiful. It's tasty. It's just keep going and going. But if somebody said to you, uh, what if you sit down to a bowl of flour? You, know, you eat the ingredients one at a time. S- teaspoons of flour or um, butter. You know, take big chunks of butter. Would you eat that? 
bit of salt, bit of sugar, but one at a time, individual. Nobody would choose that. It's awful. But when it gets to the, the mixing and baking and cooking and it's all come together, it's come together really beautiful and nice and perfect. Ideally, it's perfect. But it's, it's that kind of idea. Nobody's going to choose trials of this kind or that kind or whatever kind. But it's when God puts it together. He says, I'm making you into something very beautiful, perfect, a complete. He uses that word. That's what I'm making you into. So God's mission then, he says, God's not there to make you happy. He's not there to make life easy. But see, he is there to make you holy. That's the purpose of your faith, to, to refine your faith, authentic faith, firm faith, unshakable, faith that's going to be there to the end. That's what God's working on. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard. It's going to be testing. But that's what God's doing in your life. See, it's when we can see that, we start asking questions, the right questions, and not get distracted, because it's easy to doubt what God is doing. I remember in our lives, for us, uh, we were, I was, used to be a motor mechanic. Uh, we got very involved in our church, was very involved in youth ministry. We're encouraged to do some ministry training, then go to Bible college. Uh, our church couldn't afford to put us through training, so we put in an application for some funding with our denomination. Denomination granted us funding. It was the first time they'd ever given funding for that sort of position. Uh, so all the doors were opening up for us to transition from uh, self-employed motor mechanic, now training for ministry. And it was a really exciting time, except there was one problem. We had this business, because I was self-employed, uh, we had this business we had to sell to clear our debts so then we could uh, continue on. And it came to the point in time where my, uh, the date for my training had to start. And I said, look, my business hasn't sold. I'm happy to keep my business running with a minimal amount of energy and put my energy as much as I can into the training side for the church. Uh, they agreed to that at the time. Uh, month goes by and still business hasn't sold. Two months, three months. The business still going and Kim and I were working hard. We were two young kids then trying to make this happen. Starting to, you know, I know God in your time everything will be right but you've opened up all these doors. Come to six months later and we get news from people who are supplying the funding to say, look, if you don't start this position now, we're going to withdraw our funding, basically. The door's going to be shut. Like, God, what is going on? And you start to ask questions. God, you seem to be leading us down this path. We've made decisions this way. You've opened doors up this way, but yet you're not letting us go through. And we start to doubt. What is God doing? What is... Where is God directing us? Since when we get these doubts, uh, James is saying, look closely at God. Look closely at what he's doing, because then you'll see things differently. And don't doubt to trust him. He goes on in, uh, from verse 5, uh, when he starts talking about doubt. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. 
So I think when he's talking about doubt here, it's not questions of doubt. Is there really a God? I think the context and what he's talking about shows it's, it's actually questioning God himself. Is God really in control? Does God really have a plan for me? Can I trust that plan? It's that sort of doubt. So to paint the scenario, uh, when life's going out of control, and you can imagine for these 12 tribes that are scattered, life is out of control. On the outside, we can't control anything. We're just being tossed around. Is God really in control? What, what James is saying is encouraging them. You can control what's on the inside, and that is to keep trusting God. Keep trusting in his plan. His timing is always perfect. He's always got something in mind. Uh, keep trusting him. Now, if we ask God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this in my life? We might get answers that we don't want to hear. Answers like, you know, I'm putting you through a time of testing in order to make you uh, develop your perseverance, develop your character, stronger faith, that you will be made more complete. And if God knows my heart like the way I know my heart, that's not going to happen overnight. It's a long process to have a heart transformation like that. But God's got this plan, and we're not going to get the answers that we want. But God's in control. James saying, trust in his plan. Trust in his, uh, what he's got in mind. C.S. Lewis, uh, Lewis was a man who wrote a number of books, things like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. He was also an amazing Christian man, a scholar, one that shared many uh, wise things. He said once, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. And we get that, don't we? That when things are going well in life, when we're enjoying life, there's lots of things to be thankful for. But do we ever sit down, we you know, commit good time to reading his word, to drawing near to him, to be praying to him? Or do we just go out and enjoy life? It's like in those times, God can only whisper in our ear. If he wants our attention, sometimes he's got to shout to us. Shout to us to get our attention. Shout to us to say, hey, look, you need to look at me. You need to come to me. You need to draw near to me. And it's in those times where we go, God, we're desperate. We've got nothing, nothing but you. So then our natural instincts, I need to draw near to God. I'm going to start listening to podcasts. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I start praying more. And then all of a sudden we start drawing near to God because he's got our attention. And he yells at us and he speaks to us. And he teaches us and walks through, through life with us in those situations. Now, as I reflect on my life with all the ups and downs, and whether you can too, that it's in those times we start to think, you know what? It's at those times I did feel closest to God. At points of crisis, you know, whether it's personal crisis or stuff going on in our lives that we can't control, we do seek God more. And he does comfort us. He does answer us. He does come near to us. See, it's in those times, God's got to jump up and down to get our attention. And if he's got to do something by testing us, James says, consider it pure joy. God's getting your attention to take you on a journey with a good outcome, to strengthen your faith, to give you authentic faith. That's what he's doing. See, a false, false faith... Uh, one that thinks that God should be there to make me happy, he said, we're not going to accept any other answer. 
that you know, God's got us on this journey. But God, I've got a plan. I've got, I know where I'm going and I just need you to get on board with what's going on. That I need you to make my life complete. I need you to make my life happy the way I see completeness and happy goes, not the way he goes. He says that's a false faith. It's a weak faith. If you doubt God and what he's doing in his plan for your life, if you doubt that God's taking you on a journey that's going to see you to the end, he says you're like a wave tossed and blown about by the wind. You're double-minded. You're unstable. That's not a solid faith. Authentic faith is solid. Authentic faith helps us understand God's ways, helps us listen to him, draw near to him all the time. Even if there's stuff going on outside of our lives that we can't control, we can control what's going on on the inside. And that's where we can draw to God, uh, to seek his wisdom, to seek his understanding. James says if you pray it and mean it, he will give that to you. Might be a hard answer, but he will give it to you. One of the things that uh, happened at the start of the year uh, was a funeral of a man called Barry Field. Barry and Ros were part of our congregation here for a number of years, moved down to the Logan Prezi Church. Barry passed away just before Christmas. We had his funeral just after Christmas. And one of the amazing things at his funeral was the amount of people that come up and spoke about uh, Barry in such a positive light. It's not unusual for a funeral uh, that somebody comes up and gives a eulogy, tells their story of their life, tells some nice stories. Ah, oh, they're a good man and, you know, good on him. Uh, but the thing with this, they had, I don't know, five or six people come up to talk about Barry. But all of it was true. They weren't just saying nice things just to make it a nice, fuzzy, warm funeral. They were saying nice things, particularly in the context of Barry's life. And we heard the story about uh, as a young man and... Um, near, not that uh, far married with Roz, uh, they had to bury their, their first son who died from leukaemia. That's a good reason to be angry at God, to bury your child. Through that time, uh, he got diagnosed with um, uh, like diabetes, had massive kidney problems, lost part of the side of his eye. So he had to go and get blood transfusions to uh, filter out his blood because his kidneys had given up. Eventually he had them both removed. Uh, the injections got into his veins so much that they had to put false veins into his, um, into his wrist to get the needles into. Uh, also in his life that uh, they had... They gave birth to a girl, a daughter, who had severe disabilities and they soon learned as she got older that she would need their care uh, for the rest of their lives. So some 30 years later, she's living at home with them. And you kind of hear these stories and everybody's in amazement going, this man had every reason to be angry at God. God, what are you doing in my life? Why are you making my life so hard? Why do you keep testing me, not just once, but again and again and again? And it wouldn't have been a surprise to go to a funeral of someone like that and to hear the story of this man just gave up his faith. What is God doing for my life? He's certainly not making it happy. Is it worthwhile? But no, Barry did exactly what James is talking about. Looked to God, sought his wisdom, saw what was going on in his life, stuff that was out of his control, stuff that was just happening to him as a way of... This is the journey God has me on. This is the journey of God moulding me, shaping me, giving me an authentic faith that's going to see me through to the end. This is what God's doing. And he draw near to God. 
He didn't push him away. And it's an amazing testimony of what James is talking about, that this does happen. And it does uh, give great encouragement to see people who have this sort of faith spurs you on, even in the face of suffering. The second uh, expectation we can have of God, a wrong expectation, is a problem of prosperity. Uh, James jumped straight into that too. He's talking to the 12 tribes. They've given up everything from God. Now they're poor. They've got nothing. What's going to happen? But he says believers, should, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. See, it's a false faith that says the rich should take pride in their high position. That's what the world teaches us. The world teaches us where you live, what car you drive, what job you've got, puts you in a high position. It's a status. You know, some people might even say you are blessed to have all those things. But, you know, the person with not much of a job, lives in one of those suburbs, drives an old car, they kind of get what they deserve, don't they? They're in low position. We all are involved in that way of thinking in this world. Yeah, James put this on his head. <clears throat> He's going, you know what? It's not as you see it. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. See, authentic faith has wisdom that God sees. God sees the world and if we see the world through his eyes, he opens us up and we see. He says believers in humble circumstances should take pride in their position. He goes on uh, to talk about uh, but the rich Verse 10, the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plants. Its blossom falls and its beauty destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now what he's not saying is if you're rich, you're going to hell. He's not saying that. But he's talking about believers. Believers, it doesn't matter what your bank balance is. Believers, you're in a safe place. But if you've got money and that's all you've got, you haven't got Jesus, then you're in a dangerous place, a very dangerous place. There was a sticker on, used to go around on cars for a while, if you had a nice car, used to say, he who dies with the most toys wins. Like that's our goal in life. And if you have a nice car or nice toys, that's a kind of kind of status this is what I've got I'm having the most fun in life uh, so I'm going to enjoy this before I die um, and I've won because I've had the most fun the most happiness is what 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 it's saying but then James comes along and says the one who dies with the most toys still dies that's what he's saying when he describes the flowers and the beauty they still die but the person we believe the person who has faith he has something much greater He's not going to pass away with nothing. So he goes on in verse 12. Oops. Verse 12. Blessed is the one, he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's that word test again, the same thing. Those who go through the purification, those who have authentic faith, get rid of those impurities, they will receive a crown of life. See, it's very dangerous for someone to say, blessed is the one who receives wealth and prosperity. It's very dangerous. But yet many people say that. 
It's certainly not in this passage, if they say it's from Scripture, that God is there, he is promised to bless you. And blessing equals prosperity, right? That's what the world thinks. Uh, but God is there to bless you and he's going to make you really rich. It's just not in Scripture. Well, it's definitely not in this passage. In fact, if God's going to bless you, he's going to put you through a series of testing. And testing doesn't sound like fun in a prosperous sort of way. Once visited a church where the pastor got up and talked about how God, there was a season in his life, early in life, where God was withholding blessing. He wasn't blessing him because he didn't have much money. But now as life went on, he's gone through a season where God is blessing him because he's got lots of money. And you kind of go, is that what blessing is? Is that what blessing is? James seems to be saying blessing is something more. Blessing is something like making it to the end. Blessing is getting the crown of life at the end. Blessing is getting our faith shaped in an authentic way to be rock solid in Jesus. Not the wealth and prosperity that fades away. That's what it does. James says God's mission is to make you holy like Jesus. Not just happy, but holy. See, when the testing time comes, see, how do you feel about your faith? How do you respond to God when something happens that's unplanned, maybe out of your control, not your fault, and you're looking to God, you're trying to stay faithful to God and seek his ways? How do you cope with that? What's your faith like in those sort of situations? Do we scream out, why God? But is it why God with a clenched fist and an exclamation mark? Why God? Or is it the question, why God? question mark what's going on i want to seek your ways so james is going to say there's two kinds of faith which give you two kind of responses the first one when we have the clenched fist and we say why god in an angry voice he goes on to describe that in verse 13 when he says when tempted no one should say god is tempting me for god cannot be tempted tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown gives birth to death see a wrong faith makes us angry at God that we're suffering you know what is God doing what is he thinking that I should suffer it's my entitlement that God should make me happy whether it's wealth or prosperity it's my entitlement that God should be doing that for me but what he's saying is we can go down that path and blame God that it's all his fault everything in life's happened is his fault of course God I'm going to steal from my boss whether it's stealing time or cheating money or anything like that because God you haven't blessed me with enough money of course I'm going to cheat on my wife. I'm going to look at porn because you haven't given me a wife that's going to supply all my needs. God, of course I'm going to be angry and abusive because you didn't save me when I was in an angry home growing up. You didn't save me from being abused. God, it's your fault. Is it a faith like that that blames God with the fist? Why aren't you giving me this? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Why aren't you giving me what I need? But yet what James is saying is there's this thing called sin that has broken the world. And for many of us, it's broken us too. That through sin, uh, sin is just really rejecting God. So uh, Jesus is Lord and Saviour. What that means is we put him up on a pedestal. He's Lord, like put him on a throne, like a king. 
But when sin comes in, it says, we don't want to have Jesus as our king, that I've got to serve him, I've got to make my life revolve around him. I want to make myself king. I want to live for me. And through that process, he describes the act of sin, that when we see things now, we see it, we desire it, we look at, look at it, we're captivated, like Eve in the garden. She sees the apple, she looks at it, she sees it, she's intrigued by it. She's got to have it and she takes it. That's what we're like with sin. It just takes the smallest, the smallest temptation. God doesn't put us, uh, force us with this testing to force us to sin. It comes from within. He says it's our own hearts. We don't want to go God's way. We like serving the master of me. That's what I would need to please. That's what makes me happy. And that's the way I'll go down the path. James says that idea of faith is wrong. It's weak. Your faith will be like a wave tossed about by the wind. It'll be broken in no time. And we never own our own sin. We're always blaming God. Always blaming other people. We might play the religious game, play the faith card. But it's a wrong faith. A fake faith. Authentic faith, he says, goes through these times and asks why God. It's not wrong to say why God, but why God? In a, in a, in a more amazement way. From verse 16, he says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly, the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. See, God is a good father God. He does give us good gifts because he loves us. Not might not be good the way the world conceives, believes what good is, but he says God's going to give you a new birth. See, what he's contrasting there, if you follow your sin, if you follow your evil ways, birth leads to death. But if you follow God's way, God's giving you a new birth that's going to give you true life. True, and the way he describes this true life is through the word of truth. Uh, that's talking about Jesus. It's God's truth in, in his word, the Bible. That through the word, we see Jesus clearly and we understand who God is and we can draw near to God through Jesus. That through the word of truth in Jesus, we have this new birth. We're a new creation, a new identity with a new heart. That's what he does to us through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruit of all creation. This first fruit term is a really specific way of describing things throughout the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. It's something that's dedicated purely for God. It's his. The first fruit, if you're a farmer, is usually the most precious. Uh, it's the best fruit. And you want to give that, what they used to do in the Old Testament, give that uh, as a sacrifice down at the temple. Because you want to give your best to God. Now God's saying he has a first fruit. Jesus is described as God's first fruit. Because Jesus is totally dedicated to his father God. He's totally there for him. But now what James is saying, God is making you something similar. In fact, the same as what Jesus is. That God is taking you with your sinful heart, living in a sinful, broken world. That through Jesus, he's bringing you over to his side that you would be his special chosen fruit, unique for him, only for him. See, sometimes it's like, 
but I'm still over here. I'm living in this world. How do I get over here? And sometimes you can read James and go, oh, it's all about doing things. Don't get angry at God. Be better at uh, having faith. Don't doubt him. It's all do's and don'ts. But it's always pointing us back to Jesus. It's not about you earning your way to be a first fruit. It's all about Jesus and what he's done. It's not about you and your faith in particular, but it's your faith, the right authentic faith, rock solid, but faith in Jesus, that what he has done. So Jesus came. Who did Jesus come for? When you think of the stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he came for those who are broken. He came for those who are low and poor. He came for those who are suffering. He came for those rejected by the world. He took all those things and took it upon himself, even though he was God's first fruit. Even though he was uh, pure and holy, dedicated to God, he took all those things, took it to the cross when he was rejected, when he suffered as he was being beaten, when he was killed and mocked on a cross, when he took all those things and put it on himself and died to that so that we might have this new life, so that we might trust in him, not from us, our own good works, if we know our heart, we've got still wrestling with this sin. But he brings us up to have sure, authentic faith in the one who can give us true life. So Jesus is not there. Jesus doesn't go around handing out money bags to make people's problems go away. Jesus points people to the end game. So I want to see you wearing that crown of life. I want to see you for eternity, not just here for a good time. And Jesus makes that way possible through the cross. So if we believe in him, trust in him, knowing that he knows all the pain that we're going through, all the hurts. He's, he was killed on a cross. He was cut off from his own father through that process. He knows everything we're going through. But yet he reaches out to us in an arm of love and gives us new life, new birth, through our true and authentic faith. That's the message that James shares. This is the message that we want to share at Southside. We don't want to give you the good life, the happy life now, but we want to give you life eternal. So you'll be there at the end with Jesus for all eternity, wearing that crown of life. Let me pray. Dear Father, I do thank you. You are a God who loves us, and you are a God that is aware of what we really need in our life. Lord, we might have our uh, list of things that we want to see happen in our life, life that makes our ha us happy, life that makes us feel worthy. But Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that, that even the way you love can be tough love, a love that draws us to you, near to you. Lord, I'm sure in a, in a room this size, there's many of us that are going through stages where it is tough right now, Tough day, tough week, tough month, and it goes on. Lord, we just pray as we draw near to you that you would assure us, that you'll give us that true faith, that you would refine us through this process, test us, so that we would have that faith that's rock solid, steadfast and strong, faith that's going to help us to get it, make it to the end. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. And Lord, help us to cling to what he's done, that through the cross, through his promises of taking us to the end. Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to be a family here at Southside, that in our hurts or in our joys, Lord, we celebrate and we grieve together. But Lord, we're a family of your children, another tribe, 
that always clings to you, points each other to you and draws us all near to you. Give us hearts that long for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.